Hello and welcome to another WYMD Talks episode. My name is Irene Ikomu and I'm the current Hufford Youth Fellow with the World Movement for Democracy, where I'm currently researching youth political participation around the world and I'm glad to be discussing part of that research with some guests here. Ms. Vera Gogokia is a leading civic activist from Georgia. In 2012, she founded You for Democracy, an NGO that focuses on developing a student activist network in Georgia. An allergy specialist by training, she has worked at the Research Institute of Clinical Medicine in Tbilisi, the country's capital, in addition to pursuing her democracy initiatives. For those not familiar with the country, Georgia is located at the crossroads between Western Asia and Eastern Europe. It shares a border with Armenia, Azerbaijan, Russia, Turkey, as well as the Black Sea. It was part of the Soviet Union until 1991. One of the interesting youth movements I identified comes from Georgia. The white noise movement largely draws its membership from young members from the nightclubs of Georgia's capital. The movement itself was packed off by police raids of nightclubs in search of drug users or abusers. The movement uses social media and other methods to push back against the country's extraordinarily harsh drug laws. Anyone caught with even trace amounts of drugs can face years in prison or fines running into tens of thousands of euros. Currently, about 3,000 people are incarcerated long-term on these grounds, and anyone with a drug conviction is barred from working in any government job which is by far the largest employer. So lives are systemically destroyed and the poor suffer the most. The movement itself has forced a nationwide debate on the impact of criminalization of drugs and eventually contributed to the decriminalization of marijuana possession. So Vera, thank you for joining me today. Why don't we start by you building a picture of the country's post-Soviet political profile and how youth fit into that? Great. Thank you for having me here and for making this afternoon so interesting. At this moment, we have a head of government who is a prime minister. We have a president who has very limited power by by new constitution. And we have dominant ruling party. And Georgia, since the collapse of Soviet Union, had always cycles of one dominant party. And the dominance means over-dominance. Uh, so the party which is ruling now, which is called Georgian Dream, it has a constitutional majority in the parliament, and it has the whole government, it has the prime minister, and it has a president. The president is not officially a member of a uh, ruling party, but her candidacy was promoted by the ruling party. So we have this dominant party. We have one strong opposition party, which unfortunately split into two, which made them weaker. We had the third party in the parliament, which represents 5% of population, but is not a very popular party. And we have politics, which is happening in street, which is the most vibrant, most challenging and exciting thing. And this is what young people are involved in. That is what excites us and also worries us. Because for many years, young people have been putting issues forward, trying to put into political agenda, are really unforgiving in their fight 
for freedoms, for human rights, for freedom of speech, for rule of law, for labor rights, which is a big thing in Georgia, for women rights. And they're really trying their best. You say young people are very unforgiving in their advocacy. So what are some of the very specific examples in which you see this playing out or in the way that young people are organizing or advocating for, for more representation? So you've given us some thematic examples, you know, like labor rights and women and youth. But what specific examples are coming out of Georgia in terms of how young people are organizing on these issues? For instance, after the collapse of Soviet Union, we had to abandon all Soviet rules and standards, including the safety rules, and introduce new, and these new didn't arrive in time. So, for instance, construction and industry still are absolutely unregulated. So we have very many deaths on the workplace. And we have many protests and strikes, for instance, miners, we have coal mine, we have manganese mine, and they have unions, they have good unions, they are protesting, they're demanding, and I like that young people pick these the issues, they go with them, they try to help them. They try to bring that message from those little towns into the capital. And every time there is death, an accident at the workplace, they really pick it and they get on the streets picketing either government or demanding from parliament the change of labor code or implementing more seriously safety laws which have been kind of delayed. The law was adopted, a very soft one with very little penalties for companies who violate safety rules. So recently we had very big protest in the capital. They picketed the major street and got really attention of government. They came out, showed that they are willing to communicate, to talk, to see what is wrong in the law. I mean, sometimes they show the response, but these responses don't really get into actual policies. So there's a lot of frustration of young people about it, and the energy is very much wasted. The energy that is to organize the protest, to involve people in it, to give demands into clear language for the public and have further actions will be connected to these issues and improving for these problems. But you see there are challenges to that, which is the lack of organization. So one of the movements I was telling you about that I've read from Georgia is this white noise movement. Yes. Where young people have organized around drug policy because of the numerous stop and testing policy of the police and the very high stakes where you get arrested or you pay such high fines, young people are basically organized against it. And in many ways, because of the white noise movements, there were conversations, I think, where they, they marched to parliament and then had conversation with government. So what, what you're saying is that a lot of these, this energy is not translated into policy. Where do you see that gap? How come they're able to mobilize, they get on the streets, but it takes so long for this to be translated within government policy? What's the challenge there? To answer your question, let me and uh, let me bring the story to you. It's one of the most interesting stories. Uh, this white noise movement has started some years ago. People didn't really 
pick those ideas. They thought this might be some weird young people. They demand this, and because most of people don't worry about the issues that they worried. Only certain specific age of people were stopped in the street. If you had a hood on your head, a young man coming out of the metro in the hood would be stopped by police, and you wouldn't know that was a police. There would be normally dressed guys that would approach to you. We're from police. We have to check you. That was very unpleasant, but to the certain group of the young people. But one day last year, a government very brutally raided two nightclubs. And that was an absolutely unbelievable story. Nobody expected that. The raid was preceded by several stories of overdosing and many deaths of some kind of new drug that arrived in the country absolutely illegally. And no one knew what was that, why so many people suddenly died. And the response of government was that they raided nightclub where they suspected there would be some type of drugs. That the Minister of Interior came out, actually, we did not expect anything serious there. And there is that, why they used this force, which we call Spetsnaz, as a specially equipped policeman, which is more like military. So immediately as this happened, people went in the street. For several days, there was a huge demonstration with young people, and the first time, non-young people even joined. Their parents came and the grandmothers came and the protest took the wonderful turn. It was all music and dancing. They said, let us dance, let us be free. And interestingly, government began talking of decriminalizing marijuana. We couldn't expect that from them, but they actually did. Nobody could believe, wow, our government did that. Our government even decided to adopt a law by which you could raise marijuana. And then we started thinking, wait, this is something new. And in fact, it turns out this police checking is still continuing. So the laws are not translating. So the law is there, but still young people would be stopped in the street and would be checked you know, they can say we're checking for other drugs and this and that. So so this discomfort that people had is still there. So after this big protest last year, this year there was another demonstration. These people are very creative. They put interesting signs all over the town, very interesting slogans, which was very attractive and interesting and cynical. They put the bust of the minister of interior on the place of the protest where you could go, click the button, and it would start minister speech, which was I'm sorry. Actually, he, when he came a year ago at the demonstration to meet with the protestants, he said, first of all, let me start with, I am sorry. So they used this moment and put it on this bus and put a button and you could go and click and hear, let's start with, I'm very sorry. By this, they wanted to show that these words had no value, no price, because he said, I'm sorry. They changed as if the law, but the problem is still there. So I like that this movement is not giving up, is not very easily corrupted or charmed by government, and they are still pushing. That is great.
The success of this is that it has a more organized movement, narrowed on one issue, and they are pushing that issue every time they have opportunity. You've been working with young people and participation for a very long time. So with regard to the white noise movement, how do you think they would have greater success in translating that into much broader policy? So for example, stopping the police brutality that's actually behind this drug testing beyond just changing legislation. I think there's a lot of potential in this group and I think they'll be continuing, but they probably think until this becomes into the agenda of some political power, that will be very difficult. There is one party which is really focused on that, a young party, but it's very minor so far. We'll see. I hope it grows and it becomes influential. Another problem which might not be very specific to Georgia is young people and generally public distrust political parties, distrust politics, distrust politicians. Even if you see that things cannot change, even if you put half a million people in the capital, you really push to think what to do. An example of this is several of my friends who have been organizing several protest demonstrations on various issues, whether it be environment, against construction of dams, about ethnic minorities, or whatever. If someone shows up with political background, they say, we don't need any politicians here. You want to use this issue for your own credit. And they really could be very aggressive towards those politicians. But here is dilemma. You have issues, people have issues, you really care about them. But you see, without politics, that can never happen. And now we come to question what to do. And so what what can we do, Vera? Because this phenomenon about the distrust of political parties, it's everywhere. I myself am a young person, and I don't see the value in joining a political party. But I do see the paradox of the movements and the campaigns. One, sometimes they'll fizzle out. There's no energy to keep pushing them beyond certain points. And so there's real value in engaging with the political system. But how do we find a middle ground in getting political systems that respond to the issues of young people, but that also respond to the back end? Because there'll be specific issues like climate change, environment, women's abuse or sexual harassment. But at the back of that, there's also ethical issues like corruption, like how long politics takes, like the role of money in politics. So how then can the system start to have this conversation so they can keep more young people engaged or wanting to at least participate in the system? One thing that we have been trying to persuade young people is, the first thing that we try to discuss with them for many years, and I think we got to that point that we actually cannot do with political without political parties. However unbearable they are, however strange they are from us, we can't imagine today a political system without political parties. So we have somehow to deal with that. Maybe we have to think how to make them better. Maybe here's an opening for us. Because political parties are empty of ideas, empty from good people, empty from militant citizens. And maybe this is the moment, even though we hate the political parties, maybe we have to stop in. Political parties admit they need new people, they need new faces, but they're not really open to that because these young people are not going to listen to the party leader. But they're coming there with their issues and their voices should be heard. And they should be taken very seriously, otherwise they won't go there. Or people can form their own political party. 
Why not? What are some of the characteristics, if any, of any new political parties or political organizing that young people are bringing out? And how is it different from the old system? Is there a space or room for that to happen even in Georgia? It took very long for us to understand that the word party is not that terrible. Because along with hatred of political parties, we have also the Soviet scar, which brings us to the idea of party being only communist party. Now we somehow got used to the word that party does not mean bad. But new movements and new political organizations try to avoid this word, by the way. There are some young people gathering uh, some issues, and they try to call their organization movement and not party. To go back to your question, we see that some young politicians decided really to set up organization to set up political parties. We had a couple of examples of independent politicians, for instance, ex-journalist Aleka Elisashvili, who ran for city government. He was the member of city legislature. Then he ran for city mayor. He didn't win, but he did very well. But he understood that it is very difficult for him to be in legislature or to run without having a political party. And why is that? So he said something very interesting. When he was the member of the legislature of the capital city, and he had great ideas, he said, I would come up with idea, and the members of city parliament would say, oh, that's great, but look, we cannot support that. We cannot vote for that. You are not the member of our party. And because these members of legislature were so much attached to their parties, they wouldn't pick those initiatives. So Aleko Elisashvili would say, I come with this initiatives, people like it, but they are not voting. Those initiatives never become laws, never become policies, never reach normal citizens, never become reality. So this is how he got to this idea that he needed a party. So he's setting up a party, and I hope he will do very well in 2020 parliamentary elections. From that team, there was one guy running for by-elections last week. In that elections, we had wonderful bounty of young people. Actually, four young people were running for one parliament seat. Two were independent, and two were from minor parties. Of course, they didn't do well, but the fact that they were there they were campaigning, I think, meant a lot for voters to see that people, young, independent, or affiliated to minor parties, are really trying their best, putting issues, trying to propose policies, was already a good thing. And I guess this again speaks back to the contradiction from earlier, where if you're on the outside and you're running a campaign, because of the nature of the structure of campaigns, where they're horizontal, it's very hard to have that long-term impact in policy because you're not in the system. But again, you have young people who are going into the system because they reject that political party structure. Again, it becomes harder to have influence even within the system. I don't think the distrust for political parties is going to go away for young people. So do you see a hybrid getting created where we can still have the level of organizing that young people find attractive or find representative that still has some sort of impact within the structural systems or the traditional structure of, of politics? I'm very optimistic, and I think if we um, use every opportunity to discuss and think through every political event, like the spy elections, which was almost the very first case when so many young people showed up as candidates, 
what went wrong. We have to go through, think what we could have done, what can be done in the future, and really strategize very well for next elections. It won't help to be upset, oh, people didn't come vote, oh, they are lazy, this won't work. We have to try to think what we could have done better and what resources we didn't use ourselves. Maybe we have to think and tell them that, look, you were four. You could have thought of being one. Or you could have been all there, but with one face, but with all these human resources or volunteer resources and a bit of money, if there was any, have been around one candidate and had more strong campaign and strong fight. But this is also a problem with young people a bit. They want to say, I'm coalesced and I should be there, and they might be not very good coalition building uh, capacity. I think compromising is very important. They very much demand ideological purity. They are very unforgiving even to each other, but without compromising, without team, without network, without coalitions, it is really difficult. Another thing is that I think I'm very optimistic there and maybe very naive, but we should somehow use every opportunity still to approach the existing parties. I think they can be improved. They can be democratized. I think young people should invade those parties. So you think young people should keep on trying to invent parties that are more democratic and that are more grassroots focused? Yes, and existing parties can be really restructured, I think. If there is a party and it's wrong, but there are some people who have some potential, and if those people who have some potential would be more supported, and if they attract more similar-minded people and they get more influence inside the party, I still believe that is doable. People don't believe in that, but I still hope it's doable. I think that parties can become healthier from inside if more healthy people get inside. I know there's prejudice, there is hatred, but it could be done. And if we have competition among good several parties, a dream come true, right? So my challenge is that with a lot of parties, there's not enough filtration for new voices to come in, for new ideas, for new people to come in and survive. Because you find a lot of the people who've been there will want to protect that space. And so reforming parties internally becomes very hard. And so it becomes harder to make political parties appealing to young people. That is very true, uh, that as if makes parties stronger, but actually it makes parties weaker, because if there is the dominant part in the party, which is run by a little group, and this group lives in bubble, they dominate the party, party follows them, but they lose exactly what makes the party strong, the connection with young people, connection with public. And if you don't have constant flow of new people in your party, who will just feed your party with ideas, with real problems or perspectives how to solve problems, you're going to become weak, unattractive. Somebody is powerful within his party, but his party won't be attractive to voters. And thank God we have at least electoral democracy. Parties have to be voted. Maybe this is my last question now. Vera, how do you see the future for organizing for young people, for political parties? What does the future look like the next five, ten years? I think next five and next ten years will be very interesting. 
and very challenging, I believe, decisive, because we have this big potential of young people who are well aware of politics, well educated, full of energy, and they are about to burst, you know. It, it, it's, so, it's so pregnant now already. It's very pregnant. And we have very shaky platforms on which the parties stand. And I think this huge energy will burst into something really real, something into real political power, and totally will change the political landscape in Georgia. This is the way I see it, and this is what I want to believe will happen, because I just can't imagine country like Georgia, which is so full of ideas, full of very courageous people, can continue the way it is now. It's just unbelievable, not natural. So uh, I believe we will have new parties, maybe not very many, and I, I don't think we need very many. We are only three million people. We need a couple of good parties, competing parties, and I see multi-party parliament. I see strong parliament in about 10 years. That's such a, an optimistic outlook. Absolutely. Thank you, Vera. Any last parting words or thoughts on our conversation? Yes, I want to convey the message of my friend who was running in these elections, who said that despite all very terribly hard job that we did, all these two or three months, no sleep, lots of disappointment, disillusionment, or discouragement. He said, I don't regret for one second that we decided that, that we ran for office. And that is a big step forward. That is the big thing in my life and a big thing in the lives of those people who were involved in this. So I want to tell everyone that go ahead, do your best, maybe not today, but tomorrow, the day is yours. Thank you, Vera. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Again, my name is Irene Ikomo. This podcast was edited by Claire Hay and was made possible with the support of the National Endowment for Democracy and the Harvard Foundation. 